This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome. You are listening to the final cable of all time. I am Guy Johnson in London. Alex Steele is over in New York. Uh, this is the last time we will be doing this. Um, as of Monday, there will be something different on the air right now. Um, let's talk a little bit about, Alex, what is happening in the markets. The data are good. The services sector data from both sides of the Atlantic are good and cyclical stocks are responding. This is an economy that seems to be kind of re-engaging with a more positive narrative. The bond markets had a terrible week. Equity markets, not so much. But basically, we're in a situation, cyclicals are looking at what is happening in the real economy right now and going, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. Yeah, and that's what I find so confusing because you look at the outlook, and I'm talking like, say, six months, 12 months out, everyone's feeling really cautious. But the now is really good. What do you do with that? I mean, and we'll talk about this in a second, but um, Lufthansa for a moment, right? Like, summer season's going to be great. Zero visibility as to when a recession's going to hit, but the now is good. It's, as an investor, I do not envy you guys. No, you're not talking to me, I assume. Um, no, not you. Germany, 1.64%. The DAX is up very strongly today. Volkswagen is the other part of that mm-hmm. story as well. Volkswagen signaling that, that it's seeing an easing up in terms of the supply chain crisis. It's getting the chips it wants. It's got a lot of orders for cars. In some ways, Lufthansa and and Volkswagen are comparable. You, two things you certainly could not get hold of during the pandemic was mm-hmm. one, an aeroplane flight. You probably wouldn't mm-hmm. have wanted one. The other one was a new car. You couldn't buy a new car during during the pandemic. There was a significant shortage uh, of capacity. Mm-hmm. Now that capacity is easing up, Volkswagen's going, yeah, we've got all these orders. We're, we're going to fulfill them this year. Yeah, but then there's still the orders. And, and, and it's kind of across the board. Um, you would think if we're draining QE from the system, the ultra-wealthy would be the ones that are hit, right? Because those are the no, ones that benefited yeah. the most uh, for, from, from QE. That's not happening. It was across the board they saw strength. Very confusing. Yep. And the stock market's fading as well. You would have thought that would take that there'd be a wealth hit, but it's 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 definitely not happening. They are continuing to spend. The service sector is having a great time. People are flying at the front of the plane, according to Lufthansa. You look at so Torsten Schlock today was out with a note from Apollo saying that if he takes a look at you look at occupancy rates in hotels, they are rising and revenue per room is rising significantly as well. I.e., people are booking hotel rooms and they're booking expensive hotel yeah. rooms, and that that tells you a narrative as well. Anyway, we need to talk about all of this. We'll do so in just a moment. We're going to focus on the UK economy with. Uh, Philip Aldrich. Let's get some headlines first of all. For the penultimate time, Charlie Peller. Thank you very much. And here's what's going on, Guy Johnson. Sources tell Bloomberg Chancellor of the Exchequer Jeremy Hunt is set to protect Britons from rising bills by maintaining the government's energy price guarantee at £2,500 for another three months without prolonging the guarantee, which limits what a typical household would pay on energy each year. Bills would rise by an average of 20% from April 1st. The UK market's watchdog has opened an investigation into the London Metal Exchange focusing on potential misconduct during last year's massive nickel short squeeze, escalating pressure on the embattled exchange and raising the prospect of financial penalties. And Royal Mail is raising stamp prices from April. International Distribution Services says the price of a first-class stamp will increase by 15 pence to £1.10 from April 3rd, while a second-class stamp will increase by 7p to 75p. Royal Mail cites increasing costs and a 
25% drop in letter volume since the pandemic. And that is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. I kid you not, I've given up buying first-class stamps. I, a pound 15 to set a What's first, a stamp? I, yeah, and well, uh, exactly. Alec, exactly. That's part of the like, problem. Literally, I, I think the last thing I mailed, like in the mail, was my, was my tax bill. Yeah, that, that you know, I can't say I'm completely stamp free, but I agree with you. Once in a while, there's something that's yeah, got to be mailed. And I'm, I'm not doing this very often, but when I do have to buy, a, I every once in a while I book a buy a book of stamps. I I can't remember the last time I book a first bought a first class book. It's always a second class book. Totally. Seventy. I, there's quite a big spread now, and I think they turn up on the same day. I could be joking. I, I but but I think certainly the latest data from the Royal Mail. Suggest that they're struggling to deliver first-class stamps. On t- I, I digress. On yeah. time, it's yeah. just so much easier. Email, either email or going ahead and doing yeah. things online, submitting your insurance bills. So much easier. Philip Aldrich sitting next to me, chuckling. I can't believe. It's like, what are we talking about? Right now? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, th- I think it's part of the narrative. I think this is part of the story. Um, Charlie, thank you very much indeed. The, the story that, that Philip's here to talk about is an ONS survey that was out a little bit earlier on. ONS data suggesting um, the, the the inactivity issue that we have in the UK, which is a huge problem for the labour market, is only going to get worse. I want to ask him about stamps. I also want to ask him uh, about what's happening in the service sector. We'll do all that in a moment. Philip, we've already got a labour market problem in this country. The ONS is saying it's actually going to get worse from here. Can you walk us through the kind of the why? Yeah, so so part of it's just demographics, right? So you have, we've got more young people coming of age and 16 and 17 year olds that is and and, uh, there's more people um, becoming 60 to 64 because it's just the working age population and and the younger group are spending more time in education as well so the younger so so, but even yeah so but you would expect if more I mean 16 to 17 year olds are going to be in school so you would just expect them to be uh, at school so if you've got a larger portion of the entire population in that group then you're going to have more inactives as a result and the same 60 to 64 so just the pure demographics of it is that more of them retire early therefore if you've got more 60 to 64s then yep. you're going to see a bigger level of inactivity the other part of it so that was about half just over half of the whole uh effect yeah. but the um that was an email the, not a stamp um <laughs> the the other the half stamps it, make noises they ought to maybe people would buy them more often than Fair enough. Yeah. At you or something but the um uh and then the other half is actually due to uh these this kind of issue these issues about long-term illness to, to a large degree and so is that a covid thing like do people have long it's, covid it's like not, is that I what mean, that is that people have thought they've kind of looked at this and the general position at the moment seems to be that it's not really anything to do with long covid it's to do that you can see there's two particular things going on here the older generation have got musculoskeletal problems so they've been sitting poorly or they've just not done enough exercise or uh, it's not entirely clear exactly why that musculoskeletal stuff has, yeah. has, has shot up and then yet the younger generation have got a big increase in mental health issues and both of those uh, are driving long-term illness which is pulling people out of the workforce so there's so there are these this combination of just general demographics and then these right this rising caseload of sort of 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 sickness is are the main factors in what's happening in the in the um, UK population and as a result uh, we've we've currently got about 500,000 more people inactive than before the pandemic and within within three years we're going to have a further sort of two to three hundred thousand more people inactive which is which is damaging because obviously workers just uh, companies are struggling to get the workers already i sit here sitting is bad i'm just going to say that um more standing up um does that imply therefore higher rates that, that uh, there is that implication isn't there yeah. i mean the 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 idea that the labor market is tight which is you know bailey was talking about it yesterday every every yeah. mpc member is talking about the tight labor market driving up wage growth 
that that doesn't look like it's easing if you just look at the what's happening in the current trends and so the the ons extrapolate was extrapolating from current trends and the demographic stuff combined um the health trends etc the and so you would think that would suggest that uh, there's not really going to be an easing in these workforce shortages which would be you know Yep. But there's nothing that the BOE wages. can do about that. Like the BOE can't make people well or sit up straight. Yeah, the, the, it's it's kind of like what they say during the supply um, uh, chain the, crisis. Yeah, the, the supply chain crisis. Exactly. The the where they said we can't go out there and and, and unmoor Evergreen from its uh, yeah. parked in in the, in the Suez Canal. They, they can't really get people back into work if people are ill. So this is out of its control. They've just got to stick to their reaction function. Mm. Just very quickly on services. Does it feel like this is an economy that economies are re-accelerating at the moment on the services side? I so I think if you I've been saying for a while that if you look beneath the sort of headline rates, you can see of these of these confidence indicators like the PMIs, you can see uh, it, that activity levels, so investment levels, were hmm. picking up. Businesses were actually doing some work, yeah. uh, doing some investment. The sentiment has been really, really damaging for the overall headline figures. Yeah. That sentiment seems to be turning as people seem to see well, more it, the activity, uh, the investment coming yeah. through. So they're being a bit more hopeful, and now that's showing up and making the economic really, outlook you, better. You talk to company CEOs, they say, my business is fine, but I'm worried about the macro. And, and that's that sort of sentiment story that I think has been undermined. Philip, great to see you. Thank you very much. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over uh, in London. Let's get to Lufthansa. I'm going to interview Guy, so I'm going to set the scene for us here. Lufthansa stock um, up by about 5%. Um, really solid numbers. It's the latest major European airline predicting an earnings boost as travel demand continues to rebound. They see capacity as much as 85 to 95% or 90% this summer uh, versus pre-pandemic. So Lufthansa sees CEO uh, Carson's Four uh, says demand is going to be high this year, and then China's going to be key also. He spoke with Bloomberg's Oliver Crook. Looking forward to a very strong demand for the year 23, starting at Easter, going all the way into the summer, but not just in general terms, but also very much focused on the premium classes, first class, business class, premium economy, and not just by corporate travelers, but to a much larger degree by individual leisure travel. A gradual but healthy opening of China, also on the corporate side. So I think when you look at the third quarter, China will play quite a role in our increased profitability, being the owner of Lufthansa Cargo. I think we have seen extraordinary years in the pandemic with yields we will not continue to see. But looking at the next years, we sure see even a higher contribution than before the pandemic coming from Lufthansa Cargo and our, our cargo businesses in the group. We are hiring 1,000 people every month believe it or not. We are buying new airplanes. We are stocking up on spare parts. So we are creating as much stability as it is in our control. We will be cutting flights where necessary with as much lead time as possible to reduce the convenient inconvenience for our passengers. But we keep it to a minimum to make sure stability already starts now when you book your flight. Carson Sport, the CEO, the ongoing CEO of Lufthansa. He's just been reappointed for another five years, Alex. Look, what I think he, he says is really interesting. He's investing in his company. That's going to trickle down through, through the economy. He's buying new Boeing planes. He's buying new Airbus planes. Um, he is hiring lots of new people. Um, he is 
anticipating that he's going to have a big focus on the front of the plane, i.e. higher fare passengers uh, are going to be on board his aircraft. And that, that fits with what, um, what Otto Schlock was saying over uh, at Apollo. He's saying he's looking at, at hotel occupancy rates continuing to rise and revenue per room rising as well, i.e. people are booking more expensive hotel rooms. People are spending money. People are continuing to spend money. It may be at the upper echelons of the income scale, but people are continuing to spend money. And this but, is supporting this service sector. Yeah, but that's not even, I think, what they're what they are saying. Like business, yes, and it's business class and first class, but it's also upgrading. So people are don't want to fly economy and, well, and be the point, crunched. They're going to the pay for economy that, plus. Like It's not like these are ultra, ultra wealthy people doing it. No, but they are They are probably... if you, if you you. You are probably in the upper half of the income spectrum if you can afford an upgrade out of eco- out of economy into a premium economy or business class or first class or whatever. This is you, you, to your point at the, at the top of the show. You would have thought that these would be the people that were being hit by yeah. the stock exchange, by by the stock market sell off, by hit by QT. They benefited from QT in so many ways because asset prices increased, but it's not happening yet. And it's really interesting. All, companies like Lufthansa are investing heavily as a result of that. The question is, does it continue? Or does this this service sector strength we're seeing at the moment act, is it effectively the kind of the no landing scenario that talks and Schlock talks about, uh, and we're seeing that certainly in the airline sector? Does it become a hard landing yeah. when the rates reality hits? And then what do they do? Like, yeah. is this investment going to hurt them down the road if the top line falls off and they've already spent all this money? Is their margin just going to completely deteriorate and we're going to see really rough earnings? Or can they sort of manage through it? And, and and this is the whole idea that like you might have a longer term thesis, but the the now, the numbers now aren't, yeah. aren't supporting it. That is a really, really tricky thing to manage. It is. The numbers are good right now, and they're investing, and it's been really interesting. Company CEOs, I can't remember who, who, who was talking to us about this, but they were basically saying um, that that if you talk to companies about what they're doing, they're doing great. If you talk about companies, what they're mm-hmm. seeing around them, they're really worried about the macro picture. But finally, we might be getting to the point where actually the companies are going, it's actually good, and, and, that, and as a result of which we're prepared to say that it's actually quite good. That was uh, Ralph Schlostein. Oh yeah, that's who, exactly who was saying that. Which, which, like, then if you actually have to put money to work, which then it, it begs the question: Why aren't you just going to sit in cash? Because <laughs> then you can kind of like see which way the wind blows uh, and make a decision. Which is, yep. in essence, what Bank of America is talking about. Like, cash is just as good uh, as stocks and bonds. So, anyway, I'm going on another trip this summer. I'm taking planes. I'm buying stuff. Go figure. Um, <laughs> all right, coming up, uh, we're going to talk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Olaf Scholz, President Biden, meeting today. We'll discuss. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. In around an hour and 40 minutes, I think uh, the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz will be arriving at the White House uh, for a one-on-one with the President of the United States, Joe Biden. What's interesting about this trip, no press, no press conference, no fanfare, no big dinner. This is a we need to get down to business, there's lots to talk about kind of a trip. Uh, Earlier today, um, Alex and I had a conversation with uh, Judy Dempsey, senior fellow uh, at Carnegie Europe, to get her take on what the subjects front and centre will be. I think I mean, this back and forth between the Abram tanks and the Leopard tanks between Germany and the US will one go before the other goes and Germany wouldn't move before the United States goes and then the United States said they would go and then they backed down. But actually, if you look at uh, what's happening today now, first of all, the tanks are being delivered. And secondly, uh, Germany is going to buy back the Leopard tanks from Switzerland. Heaven knows how much the Swiss will charge for this. But however, I think there's a, a sea 
change in Germany over this, and the sea change is Germany's perception of the war and Germany's radical perception of Russia. And I think this is shaping the whole element of, of European security, Germany's perceptions. And I think Scholz will certainly uh, have an interesting dialogue with President Biden on this issue. So does that mean that Scholz and Biden will be more aligned now? I think they have to be more aligned because European security and defense is very weak. And without the huge support from the Biden administration for Ukraine, I think Europe would have buckled and would have been disunited. This is the first thing. And secondly, I think from Schulz's viewpoint, I think he's realized that um, the, the whole German-American NATO alignment has to be totally united and intact because the stakes are too high if yep. actually Ukraine is defeated. Judy Dempsey joining us a little earlier on. Let's carry on the conversation. We're joined now uh, by Bloomberg senior reporter for international affairs, Mark Champion. Join me here in the studio. Mark, hey, what do you make of the fact that there is no press? This is a low-key trip. What does that signal about the objective for Olaf Schultz in going to D.C.? Well, you know, the first thing is that it, it's, it says that even more than usual, we, we, we actually don't know for sure exactly what they're going to talk about. Um, but, you know, I think uh, it, it's reasonable f to assume uh, that they have some pretty gnarly stuff to talk about, and it's going to be about Ukraine. Uh, what Judy was saying about the... Uh, the kind of German recognition that you can't really mess around uh, with this relationship um, at the moment. I think that's completely true. Um, I think it's also really one of the more remarkable things that has come out of this um, uh, the the response to the war. Uh, you know, first of all, is that you have a German s you know a social democrat uh, a chancellor who has uh, you know and and embarked on this site and vendor the this um you know change complete you know reversal on yep. uh, the sort of ostpolitik and mm -hmm. policy to, towards russia um you know and and then the second thing is uh, that uh, you know it, it always used to be said that you know germany was very quiet on foreign policy it followed france um you know you it, that's that's just disappeared germany's been very much um uh, you know as much a leader on um you know how europe responds as as france has been if not more who has more to gain or lose in this conversation mark i mean yeah in between biden and schultz like where's the balance of power well, the, the 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 balance of power is obviously with the United States, which has the money, which has the means, it has the you know the the stocks, large stocks um, of uh, equipment, in order to be able to dig in and and you know maintain uh, the the war effort, uh, help Ukraine maintain its war effort. So, you know, in in those terms, it's very clear. But um, the Biden administration, from the very start, has been incredibly careful. Um, uh, about making sure that it keeps uh, all of Europe on side. It's fully aware that, you know, this is a war in Europe um, and that things will start to go very badly wrong if it can't keep uh, keep the whole, you know, keep Europe on yeah. side. And, and Europe is generally quite fractious. Uh, so, you, you know, the Germans are absolutely critical to doing that. Hmm. The, I hear what you're saying, but then I look at what the Germans are doing. 
they wouldn't put tanks into into Ukraine without the Americans. They had to be Abrams tanks, Leopard's tanks going going hand in hand. They're meant to be spending more money. They've increased the amount of money they're spending, but but if you asked the German army, the Bundeswehr, to go to, to war right now, it wouldn't have. It's it's got days of ammunition. Are, are they? Yes, they are sending equipment and, uh, and ammunition to Ukraine, but are they are they replacing that? And what does that tell you about Germany's kind of? Is this a long term shift? Are they are they really putting themselves on a war footing in the way that that was suggested a year ago? Uh, right. So so first of all, yes, there's a long term shift. Um, I, I think that is is pretty clear. Um, but you you know the place where Germany starts is a long way. Yep. Uh, from where it is now and an even longer way from where, for example, the Poles or the Americans you know, would like them to be or the Brits. Yep. Um, the other thing to remember is just that they are the second largest or equal with the UK um, donor, donor of heavy weapons to Ukraine. It's not. It's not small, um, and also that you know, yes, they, uh, the Germans uh, would run out of. You yep. know, the Russians would run through their uh, artillery ammunition in in days. Um, they would run out of the entire UK stock in two days. Wow. Uh, so you know, it's uh, you know, this is not. Uh, 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 none of these problems are unique to Germany. Sure. What's unique to Germany is the history and the sort of you know those kinds of difficulties which, you know, like the UK doesn't have, for example. Mark, thank you very much indeed. Greatly appreciate it. We'll see what comes out of it. Maybe we'll get a briefing a little bit later on. I suspect that there will be some kind of a briefing. It just won't be in the form of the usual press conference. But as you said, as you sat down, maybe the two leaders know all the questions they would be getting anyway. Uh, so maybe maybe they don't need answering. Bloomberg's Mark Champion, thank you very much indeed. Um, clearly, we are also building up to a big NATO meeting. That is going to set the stage. Uh, this this session could set the stage for that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, up next, we'll get back to the markets. We need to talk about the data that we've seen today. Our services re-accelerating. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London for the last time. Um, this is our last cable show. We're still on TV, though, so check us out there, 10 to 12, uh, 3 to 5 over in London. Uh, U.S. stocks uh, moving higher. A lot of it led by tech. You had Broadcom coming out and seeing a soft landing. You also have the likes of like Meta and Apple uh, moving significantly higher as well. That's helping the Nasdaq 100, despite the fact that they got really strong data and you tried to see yields make a run for it higher, but they just couldn't do it. You're seeing a bid into the bond market pretty much uh, across the board. Now, though, you are seeing some bets and hedging for a 50 basis point hike from the Fed in March. Shaka shocker, Larry Summers is urging Powell to open the door to 50 basis points uh, hike in March as well. He has a semi-annual testimony next week in Congress. Uh, we'll get more on that in just a moment. In the meantime, let's get some more headlines with Charlie Pellet. Hi, thank you very much. And a developing story at this hour. The Press Association says UK ambulance strikes on March 6th and March 8th are being suspended. This as the GMB Union and Department of Health and Social Care agree to discuss pay this year and next. The United Arab Emirates says it has no plans to leave the OPEC 
Alliance, this according to officials speaking on condition of anonymity, denying a report that sent oil prices tumbling. The Wall Street Journal had reported earlier that a growing rift with Saudi Arabia meant the UAE was discussing quitting the producer group, a move that would potentially leave it free to lift output. The UK is preparing for a late winter blast with temperatures dropping to unusually low levels in coming days and snow expected in parts of the country early next week. Snow and ice warnings are in place for Monday and Tuesday in northeastern parts of the UK as below average temperatures are set to slide even further. The Met Office says the heaviest snowfalls will be in northern Scotland. A relatively mild winter has helped to keep energy prices in the UK in check so far this season. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. So I'm going to see Charlie around, like in the hall and stuff. But Guy, you're not going to have the moment to like talk to Charlie all the time. This is a thing for the two of you right now. The, the good news is he's coming to the UK. <laughs> exactly. For vacation. He's not going to come in and do radio with you. Uh, no, but... Well, uh, maybe actually. It's Charlie. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I'm not going to be doing any radio, so I doubt it, but you never know. Exactly. But uh, it certainly has been a great partnership, a lot of fun, and uh, this is Bloomberg. Things change rapidly, and uh, we're proud of that fact. 100%. So. We could get back on air in a week. You never know. You exactly. never know. Exactly. exactly. So so we could be coming back, but in a slightly different format. Maybe, uh, maybe we read the news for Charlie. I mean, lots of things can change. Lots of things can change. Charlie, it's always my a pleasure. pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so a, much. It's been a great. Charlie, thank you. He's gone now. I, uh, okay, let's get to the uh, headline. and Let's get to the data, shall we? Um, ISM services index in the U.S. coming in a whopping 55.1. Prices paid a little bit less, but still elevated at 65.6. Uh, services um, employment rising to 54. Services new orders rising to 62.6. I'm, I'm data dumping you because it just shows how strong the data actually is. Um, and it poses a lot of questions then for the Fed. And it means the January strong data was not a blip. Let's get more with Bloomberg's chief. U.S. Uh, economist Anna Wong. Anna, what was your biggest takeaway from the number? Well, I, I think that it confirmed that um, some part of the uh, demand is, is truly um, reflecting strength in the economy. But I, I also would note that if you look at the comments in this ISM report, there are some comments that talked about downshifting and demand, for example, in the retail trade industry and also in the tech industry. And, you know, they were... Uh, these these people are talking about how they're forecasting uh, downshift in demand a year from now, and they're adjusting inventory to match yep. that. So I, I still see that despite a strong headline report, there are still you know cracks in it. Anna, the the Fed has whacked this economy pretty hard so far, and you have got prices paid still going up. I got a service sector that I hear what you're saying, but it's still not slowing down dramatically. Does the, is the Fed in control of what is happening in services right now? Well, um, the, yeah, you, you raised a really good point. So, you know, the, the high inflation that we got uh, we got into last year was primarily originally a supply chain bottleneck uh, problem. But as this ISM report shows, all these supply managers are talking about how supply chain bottlenecks, delivery time has shortened to like the fastest since 2009, yet, but yet many are still talking about labor costs. So the labor costs being very high is like the second leg of inflation, and that's what the Fed worries about, and that's also what the core PCE yeah. inflation is showing as well. So I was mentioning 50 basis points. It seems like traders are starting to hedge about that for, for March. Um, how? What are your odds that we'll get a 50 bip or at least talk or some officials advocating for it as we get into the March meeting? 
Right. I, I think it's definitely not a done deal. It's, in fact, I would put the odds at lower than 50% for a 50 basis point, because I think so far what the inflation data show is that it, it market is revising up their inflation forecast to more closely match the December dot, uh, uh, dot plot and the December SEP. And, you know. Oh, oh, looks like we dropped her. It looks like we have some uh, connection issues. Um, so, okay, less than 50% uh, chance for a 50 basis point hike. That's not nothing. But I just wonder, uh, Guy, if we're going to start to hear more conversation about it. Larry Summers all, already talking about it, and if that sort of moves the market even higher at this point. Yeah, and Ilarian talking about something similar as well. Mohammed certainly kind of pointing to the fact that the Fed has got itself potentially once again behind the curve which is really mm-hmm. dangerous. It's like the third time he says that this has happened uh, and the Fed needs to figure out a way of catching up. There's one argument that says you go gently, you deliver 25 basis points uh, at a time, uh, you, you therefore try and get a kind of sense of what is going on before you make the next move. Mm-hmm. The next move, you do it maybe more incrementally from here on in as you try and finesse the impact that you're going to have. The danger with that strategy is that you let inflation rip now and it Mm -hmm. gets embedded. And Mm -hmm. that's a harder thing, therefore, to do further down the road. And that's the fear here. Maybe that's the argument that some are suggesting we should use to go back to 50. Which then just brings us back then to the labor market. And this is where I thought on television when we talked to Bonabueja of UBS is that the um, real wages wages have been so deeply negative, say, in Europe versus the U.S. for so much longer that the risk of a wage price spiral in Europe is a lot more intense uh, than here in the U.S. I think Anna Wanak is back with us, Bloomberg chief uh, U.S. economist. Um, Anna, we were talking about the worry about inflation becoming embedded. So if you go 25 bips, it'll become more embedded than if you just sort of start going 50 again. What do you think? Well, I think the Fed's preferred strategy right now is not to go on a higher peak. I mean, that's certainly part of the strategy, but the preferred strategy is to hold rates higher for longer because, you know, imagine if the Fed were to hold rates at the peak of 5.25 for a year or even two years then what you would see is like money would be sucked into these risk-free assets, which would deprive money from bonds and equities. And that's when the financial conditions will tighten, even without the Fed doing more. So the long holding higher for longer is actually a very powerful strategy from, from the, the Fed's perspective. Is there a danger if you go cautiously from here, though, and, and, and inflation is still a problem, that it gets more embedded? Do, do you not need to hit inflation hard in the here and now? Well, you know, that's that that would be a good, uh, you know, good argument. But, you know, Arthur Burns actually pursued that sort of strategy in the 70s. He raised rates to like 13 percent, but then he also cut very sharply. So when you raise rates to a very high peak, you actually risk having the Fed to, to have, you know, to have to reduce it later on because the economy crashed or something. Mm-hmm. And then then it would bounce back. So the that's that, that's the argument for why the Fed prefers um, higher for longer rather than going to a super high peak. Yeah. All right, Anna, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thanks for jumping back on with us as well. Anna Wong, Bloomberg's chief U.S. economist, joining us there. All right, coming up, another big event taking place over the weekend as China's kicking off its National People's Congress on uh, Sunday. We're going to get the look ahead. What's really at stake? Tons of moving parts. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. 
The annual National People's Congress kicks off this weekend in China. It's a big deal. You want to pay attention. What should we expect? Earlier, we caught up with Alpine Macro's chief global strategist and founding partner, Chen Zhao. I think they, they're going to lowball the uh, target because uh, when, you, when you suppress the economy for about three years, usually the recovery is going to be slingshot. So I would say it's, a very, it's extremely easy to beat the target. So that's not an issue. The issue is really what happened after that. So the, the, the new government is going to face a lot of, uh, lots of challenges. I think this is probably the uh, new government that is going to be the most uh, facing the most uh, difficult challenges, you know, if you, if you compare with the history. Not only that uh, you have uh, problems with the property uh, sector, but also you are dealing with a very hostile West. You have a uh, state sector that are in limbo. How to put all this thing together and continue to stimulate the economy, that is, that is a big question mark going forward. Ted, the, the people that are coming in to run that economy, there is yeah. a fear that they are, they are not the forward-looking, more technocratic group that they are replacing, that they are going to be much more closely aligned to the leadership and therefore we will get a less dynamic economy. What are you expecting from this new group? Are we going to see new regulators coming in for the financial sector? Are they going to change things? What are you expecting in terms of the way these people are going to manage the story? My uh, biggest concern, to be honest, is um, uh, from the from the very top of the leadership of Xi Jinping himself. Um, nobody actually understands his economic vision. Um, although lots of people talking about it, he is very much uh, favoring uh, control, central central control, uh, the the, uh, the state-owned sectors. But actually, he's saying all kind of things. You really don't have a clear line of thinking that actually uh, you can you can get. So that is the that is the that is the first uh, issue uh, that that the new government has to deal with because what exactly is your economic philosophy? Are you pro markets? Are, are you are you really uh, thinking of, uh, of enforcing the state-owned enterprises, or are you uh, trying to uh, to do what? So we have to really carefully watch mm -hmm. that. Look at over the last couple of, a couple of years. Uh, the government, government policies are all over the map. We're right. not, not talking about um, uh, promoting uh, private ownership, but at the same time, you crack down on these high-tech companies. You're doing all these educational uh, companies. You're trying to wipe them out. At the same time, you're doing, doing a whole bunch of different things. It's lots of confusion that this economic policy that is created. That's, that's the biggest concern that I have. So. Let's see whether they're going to set this thing straight this time around, whether they can map a so, clear roadmap for the economy. So, Chen, um, to Guy's point, the other school of thought, and Bloomberg Economics was talking about this, was that the people who are going to be replacing uh, the officials have all, like, risen within his ranks, so they know how to manage uh, Xi Jinping. They know then maybe how to execute whatever that vision is, and in some ways maybe they'll get more freedom to do that. Do you buy that argument? Uh, well, I got to be very careful. You know, this is like a five-year ritual. Every time, every five years, about a ten-year ritual. Every time you change the government, you know, the speculation is that this government is going to be really reform-oriented. This this government is going to be much more competent than before. Sometimes, the answer is yes. Uh, the reality has proven that is right. 
Other times, no. Remember that 10 years ago when Li Keqiang was the new prime minister, everybody think that he's going to be reformer-oriented, he was very well-educated, he knows, he knows his stuff, but it turned out that he's pretty weak, in my view. He's a pretty weak prime minister, of course. Uh, he's not really coming straight from uh, Xi Jinping's uh, uh, internal clam. Uh, that probably constrained his power. But again, you know, if you think, if you hear what he say, what he has been saying, you know, he says uh, he's okay. That was uh, Chen Zhao. He joins us from Alpine Macro's chief global strategist and founding partner. It, it all is going to, though, boil to how China is going to come out of its uh, zero-tolerance COVID policy and then the growth impetus. Um, I'm doing a lot of prep for my Sierra Week interviews, so big oil and mining and metal CEOs. And and a lot of them are saying that the demand pull is much more substantial from China than the West actually believes, that things are actually moving and they're moving very quickly. So interesting uh, to note that ahead of the NPC. All right, coming up, more on markets. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. So, Guy, going back to the markets for a moment, I was reading a Longview Economics. They just they have a regular Friday piece out. And I found some other stuff really interesting because they were saying that this is one of the most confusing investing times that they've ever seen. And they've been in the market for a very long time. And they kind of kicked around some questions that I thought were interesting in particular when it comes to the equity rally that we've seen. Is it a bear market rally? Or had we been pricing in a recession, and now we're feeling that a recession's definitely avoided, hence the rally? Or are we now pricing in a reacceleration? And I like the way they divided that up, because I feel like nobody knows the answer, but those are really clear ways of thinking about it. It is massively confusing. The data are confusing. I think markets are picking their own time spots as well. I think the bond market's looking further forward. I think the equity market is looking to the here and now. Mm. I think it's, I, 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 and all of this comes back to the same argument that we keep hearing time and time again, which is you get 5% on a two year. Yep. Yep. I mean, and that's yeah. a real problem. I, I, throughout this entire crisis, cash, the question about cash has been really interesting. Everybody's got, oh, you've got to be re- you've, you've got to be invested. And now people are coming around to this idea. Maybe you don't have maybe to be don't. invested. Yeah. Um, Kriti Gupta is joining me here uh, in studio. Kriti, um, I was talking about Longview Economics and their and their Friday piece out talking about like, are we in a bear market rally? How did we price in a recession and now we're pricing it out? Or is the economy reaccelerating and that's what's reflected in the equity market? What, what, what are you thinking? I think both, actually, is all the answer. Okay. Uh, all of it, just everything. Excellent. All <laughs> uh, I, I think the uh, so there, there's a few pieces to it. I want to start with the the last thing you mentioned, this reacceleration, because the no landing scenario that Torsten Slotka coined um, over at Apollo. I want to say it's been maybe two months now mm-hmm. since that's come out, and I think when it first came out, there was no real kind of adoption of that idea, um, and now it's kind of making its rounds around Wall Street. There's this active consideration that what if there is no recession? What does that look like, given uh, the the labor market is so tight and there's this concept of labor hoarding. So the traditional metrics of recession don't apply. And in that scenario, the reacceleration of the economy is kind of a given. It means that things are going to slow. And we've already kind of seen that in corporate earnings. Business investment, consumer spending slowing down, sales slower than the previous quarter, but not really contracting in a meaningful way. But they will reaccelerate. And I think there's an assumption here that that reacceleration is going to then fuel inflation again and then push rates higher. So there's a lot of different uh, kind of ways to think about it. I think the other thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is the context of this all. We are coming off of a really bad year of of 
a stock market price action. And a lot of that was just based on the premise that the Fed is repricing in a really big way. They're tightening very, very fast. And the Fed is going to drive this economy into a recession. And that, as a result, is going to result mean layoffs, businesses going out, um, fallen angels, uh, a lot of those kind of reactions. And yet, here we are talking about a no landing. So I think some of this is also the buying is, well, maybe some parts of 2022 were overdone. I think that's mm-hmm. another reason to fuel the gains at the moment. Torsten theory, though, is that you get a no landing, then you get a hard landing. And the longer the no landing goes on, the harder the, 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 the landing yeah. ultimately is. And you can certainly see maybe some evidence for that. We don't know what what is already in the price in terms of how much of the Fed hikes that have been delivered thus far or are, are already hitting the economy. The, the long and variable lags thing, I think, is really confusing at the moment because I think it's impacting different parts of the economy at different speeds. So we don't know yet. And if the Fed's looking at the current data and saying we might have to go more and this whole idea about 50 and, and the fact that we may have to revert to that just signals that that, that we don't actually know how big the hit, the rates hit's going to be when it finally comes. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I think that's where you're starting to see the dislocations in the equity in the bond market right now, because the bond market, uh, today's price action aside, is actually, you're seeing that move higher and higher in yields with those round numbers really coming to play, 4% on the 10-year, uh, mm-hmm. 5% on the 2-year. And I think that's really important because the bond market is pricing in the possibility of that outlier 6% terminal rate for the folks who are advocating for it, the equity market is not because they're saying, look, at the moment, we are still, parts of the market are still pricing in cuts. You are still looking at a no landing scenario. And by the way, this earnings season wasn't as bad as everyone was expecting it to be. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea of the repricing and the cash becoming more expensive the way that it was in 2022 because you had this extreme tightening all of a sudden that doesn't really apply right now. And then factor in the fact that you have uh, Fed officials like Raphael Bostic, for example, at the Atlanta Fed saying, well, maybe that whole 50 basis point talk isn't warranted. Maybe we only need 25. And that's seen as a dovish take. But that's seen as dovish, which is also kind of bananas, too. It's not like 125 and then we're done and we're cutting. Like It's a yeah. whole different kind of thing. But then you have Summers saying, we got to talk about 50 again. The, the market's starting to hedge 50 again for March. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of funny because I think this is where Fed credibility kind of comes into play. So many people in the bond market, um, and economists as well, you can. I feel like Mike McKee says this all the time. He says, look, no one's listening to the Fed. The Fed has been saying they're going to tighten and they're going to go really hard on inflation. He's just complaining because no one's listening to him. That's the, <laughs> that's the um, difference. But if you go fast forward, say, 2020, 2021, remember when we said that inflation was going to be transitory? There is still major trust issues between the stock market and the Fed, and I'd argue the bond market as well. So I just don't think it's as easy to say, look, we need to reaccelerate to a 50 when the step down from a 50 to 25 was already given so much attention to go back up to 50 and to go away from the margin of 25, I think would be probably the bigger hit to the market than the actual 50 itself. All good things must come to an end, Kriti. I know. This this conversation is coming to an end. This show is coming to an end. Don't make me cry. It's all over. It is the cable ha- I I I've been on the show for a few years, Alex a little less, but but it's been it's been a roller coaster. And I think we should just say A, a huge thanks to all the guests that have been on the show. Mm-hmm. Kriti Gupta, you are definitely at the top of that list. Thank mm-hmm. you very much indeed. And a huge thanks as well to Sarah, our producer, who has dealt with us on a daily basis. And by dealt with us, I mean like the chicken scratch rundowns that we send at like (laughs) 7.30. She deciphers it with no questions. And I mean like 
A B D B L tape, and she like figures it out. It's 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 truly amazing, and we are very grateful and very and very thankful. And she always has a great time coming up with all the guests that we get to talk to that you get to listen to. And it has been a pleasure, guy. This has been a development in our relationship too. Like it's much easier to chat on radio, and this has been a lot of fun. It has. We will continue. If you would like to continue to to hear me mocking Alex about her spending habits, you can still do that. We will、it's、still、available. be on television. <laughs> It will still be available. I mock so, you too, so it, right? We, I mean, I mock you too. To yeah, you certainly do. Anyway,、okay. it's been a great pleasure. Look, I I hope Sarah Week goes goes really well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll be on TV though. This is the cable. This is Bloomberg. <laughs>